welcome back into another edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. Blake Neiman and publisher Chris Cartman here with you. And we hope you all had a wonderful new year. Got a good start to 2024. It was quite the beginning with a lot of college football going on, the two semifinal games and two really incredible games in Washington and Michigan going to be playing for the national championship. And Chris, it's just, it's crazy to think that Arizona State was still the last team to beat Washington and how they were one of the closest teams to beating Washington this year. <laughs> yeah, um, we could have a whole separate podcast just about <laughs> uh, those semifinal games. I, I really felt like Texas had a bad defensive approach to that game. Um, when you have some shakiness at uh, cornerback and really in your secondary, that really it makes it even more so of a need to try to get after Michael Penix with some A-gap pressure that he sees immediately in his face uh, and get the ball out quickly combined with some perimeter um, uh, uh, press man where you get into some bump coverages and try to delay those route structures. Uh, he was able to, even when pressured, there wasn't enough of that delay of the routes on the perimeter to, for him to not be able to convert a lot of those passes. Um, so he was phenomenal and Washington had a great game the earlier game. I thought was, was exhilarating. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with, with Michigan, Washington, as I'm sure everybody else is. It'll be a great showdown next Monday night in Houston. But as we know, we're getting into college basketball season Arizona State just started Pac-12 play, and it was quite the heart-pumping weekend for Bobby Hurley and company. Fresh off the three-game losing streak to round off its non-conference schedule, Arizona State threw itself into the deep end of the bay, but emerged to the surface victorious somehow after racing a duo of double-digit deficits to sweep Stanford and Cal for the second time in 2023 and earn its first 2-0 start in Pac-12 play. <clears throat> When both games were on the road since 1987 and 88, ESPN Analytics gave the Sun Devils just a 0.11% chance of winning both games from late double-digit deficits. But come-from-behind wins, as we know, have become commonplace for Hurley coach teams as the ASU's New Year's Eve win over Cal marked the 43rd halftime deficit comeback under Hurley's direction, which leads the Pac-12 over that span. And so, Chris, the consistent inconsistency continues for Bobby Hurley's Sun Devils. Yeah. By the way, Blake, nice alliteration that you had there. You had a <laughs> of double-digit deficits. Um, yeah. Um, it, you can't really ever be too surprised by what happens with ASU basketball. And, of course, um, when you're uh, a five-point, five-percentage likelihood of a win in or or worse in back-to-back -back games and you win both of those games that's pretty rare but um the roller coaster ride that we've seen really uh throughout Hurley's tenure it, ha it continues essentially right you you I thought okay they have a bad loss on the road at San Diego then they have blowout losses and back-to-back -back games against better opponents. It's a three-game slide. Things could really go into a bad direction for them, even more so when you get into the playing on the road to start the, the conference, even though Cal and Stanford are 
some of the worst teams in the the Pac-12. Uh, certainly, Cal is is right at the bottom, along with maybe Oregon State. Um, but they they seem to uh, play their best when their backs are really kind of against the wall, um, which is a you know Hurley talked about after that Northwestern loss having a fighter's mentality, and I just I just you know they definitely do. And I don't see them giving up or any of those th- things, but the they just put themselves into some really uh, bad predicaments that they have to then Houdini themselves out of. And, and we just saw that um, scramble mode when they press, when they have to generate turnovers, when they need stops, when they need buckets, that's kind of when they're at their best. The problem is, is that they don't have the ability to sustain that over entire halves, much less entire games. Yeah, I kind of just wanted to dive a little bit more into the Cal game specifically, but also the the Stanford game was they were both very similar in the backs against the wall comeback mentality. Um, ASU down 12 in the second half against Stanford and then only had a 5.1% chance to win, just a little over 2% against Cal. 16-point comeback in the second half versus Cal was the largest second half deficit overcome by Bobby Hurley in his tenure, and it it really was a shift toward that final 11 minutes or so for ASU. And that was a, we kind of saw that shift later in the game. And I don't know, I guess just like your thoughts of that final stretch and what clicked because nothing was clicking offensively in that first half whatsoever. Yeah. um, We've seen a lot ASU athletics in the last year, the football team hit a bunch of historical lows and then we're watching what you know may be Hurley's worst team, depending on how things you know progress. But at ASU, or maybe it's worse in in recent years. But um, when they had no assists and no offensive rebounds in the first half against Cal, I was I was like, this is not even like how how is that even possible that you're not that? And we know they're playing four guard lineups, and so they're they're giving some of the offensive rebounding away by doing that structurally. And they have the ability to switch everything on the perimeter defensively. And there's some, there's a trade-off that you're making there. And they're one of the worst offensive rebounding teams in the country, as we'll talk about, but the, the no assists, like how is that even possible? Like all you have to do is have any sort of a uh, fast break opportunity. That is a pass for a layup or just a rotation for a three point shot. Um, it just goes to show you how limited that they are at times offensively and how much has to be done in a lot of one-on-one situations that they're trying to get themselves into. Uh, I, I think they're a combination of their press and then Frankie Collins's uh, improvisational ability to generate turnovers. He's fourth nationally now in, uh, in, in turnovers and uh, steals, I should say. And, um, and then you hit some timely shots and you get some guys that who have been cold, starting to heat up a little bit. And you, you do that against an opponent. That's not very good. That's a huge part of this, which is Cal's not good. And so Cal's prone to having stretches where uh, the shots don't fall and then they don't really have much else going for them. That's kind of been their, their MO throughout the season when they haven't been able to make shots, they've, they've struggled. And ASU defends a three-point line relatively well. 
And then they are able to get into some uh, situations where they go on some pretty, pretty big runs in a very short span of time when they generate the turnovers and whatnot. And, and, and we saw that, um, uh, yeah, just really a microcosm uh, that a half is a microcosm of the, the season and the entire Bobby Hurley era to, in a lot of ways, um, with how much of a roller coaster it really is. Yeah, so just on that note of the struggle with the offensive rebounding, zero offensive rebounds for ASU for a good chunk of the game for a half and even bleeding into the second half. Um, and then in the first half, Cal was able to get seven offensive rebounds and convert with seven second chance opportunities. And you said it best in the five takeaways that ASU made Cal look like a much better opponent than they actually were. But a lot of the offensive rebounding struggles um, – Sean Phillips had been absent for a little bit. He was on a minutes restriction, as we know. Um, with this new, like, small ball, um, four-guard type lineup, where does ASU need to improve in that lineup to be able to develop the offensive chemistry they need to put up points on the board? Well, this is the the problem is they, they're moving themselves into an increasingly smaller box in which you can actually be successful. Because when you don't get any offensive rebounds, they're one of the absolute worst in the country. So they're not getting second chance opportunities, but they're also a poor shooting team. They're the worst free throw shooting team in the conference, one of the worst in the country. So that means that you're not getting second chance points. When you when you get to the line, they don't get to the line a ton, but they get to the line a, a decent amount. But when you get there, you're not finishing. Uh, even Frankie Collins missed one of the last two free throws that would have made it a three-point game, which was huge at the very end. Um, it, and then also, you're not you're not sharing the basketball well. You're not you're not creating a lot of uh, easy offensive baskets, which are uh, made apparent by the assists. Right, assists show that you're getting easy good looks at the basket. And so you, you stack those things one on top of another and you see quite clearly, okay, this team has a lot of challenges. You know, uh, they're a, a bad shooting team. They don't get offensive rebounds. They're not good at the free throw line. So what does that lead to? Well, you have to have Jose Perez and a lot of ISO from, you know, the, the mid post to where he's operating, but then, Teams are are they're they're cued in that that's what ASU is going to do now, and so they're figuring out pretty creative ways to defend that and, and get some length on him and make that tougher, and sit down defensively. Okay, now he's having to kick the ball out and stuff, but then you're you're getting into some late shot clock situations where you don't have the same creation ability. Now, the one thing that's been a sort of a saving grace in, in this is that Frankie Collins has best game against Cal, the whole time he's been at ASU, and he's starting to make shots not just catch and shoot, but off the bounce, uh, mid range, three point range. And, um, when Jemaya Neal hasn't really been a good, uh, shooter this year relative to kind of what they expected. Uh, and then Kamari lands super ice cold until this weekend when he finally started to make some shots, which was crucial in this game. That's super limiting when you don't have post offensive presence by big men. And they and ASU not having the eight game stretch of Sean Phillips, who also doesn't really have a tremendous amount of strength and and ability to finish uh, through contact and around uh, a lot of physicality. And he gets rooted out of the box a little bit too much. He has some 
plays where you go, oh, there it is, a nice jump hook from three, four feet. He makes it. Okay, but then you go through a long stretch where that isn't repeated and he's not getting an offensive rebound. And then the other options that they have are, you know, if unfortunately for them, Gaffney is a thin, small, more of a face guy who wants to, to hang on their perimeter and shoot the ball, but he's a very streak shooter shot looks good, but he doesn't make a lot, but then he'll make a few. And, and then you have in, in Brian Salabonge, someone who's undersized and he's not somebody who's going to give you a consistent offensive presence on the interior. So one of the, the hallmarks I think of Bobby Hurley's teams at ASU on offense is they've been kind of limited in the ways that they can attack opponents. And this is a, another one of those types of teams where it's it's tough and also he's never been known as an offensive innovator to where you're running guys off set stagger screens and you're getting a bunch of these kind of looks but then you don't have great shooters so they ha this is a team that really has to generate offense with its defense you know the, the turnovers the the press uh the, the get the getting into more of an open court type of a game uh, but they're just not able to do that consistently yeah, I believe there was very few uh, fast break transition points against Cal for ASU. Um, you talked about Frankie Collins and his career night, 25 points for him against Cal, 10 of 17 from the field, three um, for five from beyond the arc. It's his fourth career 20-point game. Um, 17 of those 25 came in the second half, and we've talked about Frankie Five Finger Collins. I, I love that nickname. It's a it's a good one, and it, it lives true. Six steals for him. Second six-steal game and third with at least five this season. He's one of the best defenders and ball um, ball takeaway guys in, in the nation. And I think that, like you were saying, that, that transition um, ability runs through Collins and just the entire offense. He's the bloodline. But I, what, what I more so want to ask you is, how he's improved from last year to this year, because we know he tested the NBA draft waters, withdrew, came back to ASU. And how do you think he's taken advantage of this year and become that leader for ASU? You can see that he worked a lot on his shot in the, in the off season. Um, somebody who always had the ability to sort of sift his way through defensive coverages and get around the basket he has good strength for a guard which shows up at both ends of the floor but the shot making and even really some of the shot decisions uh were suspect and and he's made a yeoman's effort to 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 improve in these areas and you see the confidence is is now bubbling from the surface where he's hitting threes off the bounce early in games he's got, had no no uh, qualms against Stanford hitting a, a clutch pull-up shot from mid-range when he had a mismatch. That was a great opportunity. And so I, I feel like that's unlocking a lot of things uh, in his game that he wasn't able to take advantage of before because now you have to defend him a little bit differently. You're worried about his ability to do that, which then uh, gives him the opportunity to get by you on two-way goes, create some opportunities, and um, again, he, he's a good finisher and he's an athletic guy. So he, he can kind of rise up and, and do some things around the basket that some ASU guards haven't been able to do in, in recent years. And so um, I think this is going to give him even more of a, of a, of a confidence and also Hurley is going to lean in even more because 
you know, building off what I said earlier about how limited they are offensively and Jemaya Neal, who I still think has a lot of promise, but you see in a lot of the over dribbling leading to shots that aren't made that stagnates uh, offense. And when, when you're not, uh, when you're not able to, uh, to, to get efficiency out of that, that's going to lend itself more toward Collins having the ball in his hands a lot in the half court. And so that's a very important sign for ASU. I I really didn't see any way in which it had a chance to markedly improve this season on the offensive end without it being largely uh, driven by what Collins is able to inject. And you talk, you touch on his defensive ability. This is somebody who on the back end of the press he is great at being able to uh, understand where the ball is going to go in the, and be in the air for a while. And he he's getting there on, uh, consistently. And then his passing lane defense of the half court is really excellent. He's got good technique and feel situationally for when he's able to go after some of those. And then even his on ball defense, I think has uh, improved. That's probably where he's uh, the least excellent out of all these areas but that's also taken some strides. And so I, I think that, you know, he's now very clearly the leader of this team. He's the alpha. He's the guy that has to, to embrace that role and try to extract as much as he can from it. Yeah, he said after the Northwestern game at the end of that three game losing skid that ASU was mentally soft and you can see it motivated him individually to go out and be a leader scoring wise, but it also motivated a lot of his teammates who were kind of underwhelming through the early part of the season. One of them most notably on this road trip, Kamari lands the Louisville transfer and um, former Hillcrest uh, hot prep um, standout. He scored 13 points against Stanford that matched his season high four of eight shooting three of five from three point land. He hit three triples again against Cal and scored all of his 11 points in the second half. He's really starting to become the six-man guy for ASU off the bench. And how do you see him fitting in this offense? Do you see him more of the main six-man guy? Yeah, there was this disconnect, I think, from preseason when Hurley talked about really having confidence in this group from a shooting standpoint. And then what we saw in the first month of the season when it was like, okay, they're not a good shooting team at all, really. And Land's struggles from threes exemplified that and he's somebody that i think in the his first game he hit a three and i was like oh his stroke looks good uh, he should be a pretty good three and d type of a guy you know at a minimum and then you, we just saw like several weeks in a row where he just could not hit the broadside of a barn uh shooting the ball and and i just didn't think that that was going to continue he was pressing and you get into some runs in, in college basketball and have to settle into a role and understanding what that is and that that's i think now arrived you know he's not somebody who should be putting the f- ball on the floor a ton he's somebody that when frankie collins is 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 operating at a high level lands should be able to get some some shots created for him uh he's a catch and shoot guy uh but with his length and the everything else that he provides, I think he's a very solid, uh, good player off the bench. Still could be a starter. But I totally understand them going with more of the four guard lineups, given the the challenges that they have, and especially when Phillips has been on minutes restrictions, and you're and you're trying to to make do. You don't have all a full complement of all your players. Zane Meeks hasn't played 
uh, in quite a long time with a foot injury as one example of kind of the challenge that they have to not be as deep as you want to be in the front court right now. The team is quite a bit different than I thought because I expected a healthy Phillips, a healthy uh, Meeks. And then I thought, okay, maybe they're going to play some more bigger lineups as a result of that, especially with Gaffney and Meeks being able to shoot the ball from the perimeter to stretch you out. But then they haven't shot the ball well and uh, they've needed to kind of adjust because of some of these injuries. And I think that's that's been a big challenge also that Hurley's dealt with. Um, Lance, he really shouldn't be somebody that's that you're asking to do more than make a few threes a game. But if he's able to do that reliably, then that gives you more floor spacing from which you can do different things. It gives you the ability to have guys uh, you know, stack the three-point line while you have uh, Perez operating from the mid post. And it gives you the ability to keep defenses honest when Frankie Collins is sort of sifting through off the dribble or Jemiah Neal is, is doing that. So th- these are ways that you can maybe expand a little bit, broaden out this, that offensive capability, which had really shrunk so, so narrow uh, by the end of December. Yeah, Lance had just seven threes in his 33 attempts prior to this weekend. He hit six over in the Bay. So good weekend for him. And ASU, by the way, four and one when Lance scores double digits. So definitely is advantageous when he can get in the scoring column. You mentioned um, Sean Phillips. He made his return to the floor. He was on a minutes restriction, only played 11 minutes in each of those games after missing eight games to that foot injury. Um, combined for a total of eight points, two rebounds, and two blocks over those two games. He was the ASU's leading rebounder before um, he he suffered that foot injury. He's such a – he's seven feet tall, obviously. He's a a key rebounding presence to try and getting ASU back in that offensive rebounding column that they have suffered so poorly. They're one of the worst offensive rebounding teams in the nation at – 354th out of 363 division one teams but where where does sean phillips bobby hurley has emphasized how much he is crucial to this team's success offensively and just rebounding wise um how does he fit back into this system and where do you foresee him making an impact um down through the next few games and getting going again yeah he's not really been a huge shot blocker per se but he is a good presence and i feel like you opponents have to be really mindful of what they're doing when he's in the game in in a way that's different than the others on the floor gaffney blocks more shots you know probably as a percentage of minutes but he does it in different kind of ways he's not really that anchor type of a player i feel like the, the the rebounding piece is where asu really needs to try to focus on improving as much as possible. And that a lot of it comes down to feel and timing situationally. But I I think that where ASU needs to really be drilling it into the heads of, of, of Phillips and even Gaffney and others is we need to be well positioned. We can't be getting, you know, moved off out of the, out of the, out of the area. We can't be like reaching over other people. We can't be getting boxed out. We have to see opportunities and maximize them when the ball is up. And that is, it starts with uh, just being aware of your, where you're at on the floor 
and being aware of where the shot is going and where what that likely means as far as your ability to go corral. I think ASU needs to, there's, there's always a trade-off, but I think ASU needs to try to send more of its guards to the rim aggressively from an offensive rebounding opportunity standpoint to get second chance points. You're giving up the the possibility of more leak outs, transition buckets going the other way. They don't want to do that. So that's sort of a fine line. Fully get that, but they have guards that are actually pretty good rebounders. We've seen that Jemaya Neal, is a lankier, long type of a guy. Jose Perez, even though he's not, uh, you know, a a guy who get, has great lift off the floor, he's a bigger body who's physical and tenacious. And uh, Kamari Lands has length for a perimeter player. Frankie Collins can go get the ball. So, I think that you 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 have to as much as possible, especially when you have. Meeks out of the lineup, Salabonga is sort of a, you know, he's a below the rim type of a guy. You need to be able to gain rebounds uh, to give yourselves, prevent second chance opportunities, super, super crucial, and give yourself more of those uh, types of things. And, and, and Phillips, uh, he's not going to get a lot stronger during the season. Like the off season for him is going to be about getting bigger and stronger. Uh, But I still like the idea of ASU trying to go to him early to create a different uh, element to its offense that opponents have to be concerned about. You have to sort of broaden the spectrum out of what they can do. Yeah, you mentioned those guards having to make an impact on the glass. Three guards for ASU lead the team in rebounding. Jemiah Neal leads the team with 5.8 rebounds per game. Frankie Collins at 5.2 and Jose Perez at 4.5. Obviously, your guard shouldn't have to be doing all the work. Um, so Sean Phillips adding him back in the mix will certainly help in that aspect off the glass. But on the on the topic of guards, Adam Miller um, recently got cleared to play again um, for his two-time transfer waiver due to an NCAA court ruling um, that uh, allows two-time transfers to play again. Um, he He's played through four games now, had a big showing in his debut um, with 20 points, um, but since then had, had a bit of a struggling weekend. Um, as far as scoring points, he, he scored uh, 13 points against Stanford, four rebounds and four assists, um, and then had a season-high five rebounds against Cal. He, he's had a lot of collegiate experience, Chris, in just the terms of we know he can he can produce scoring, um, or averaged 11 and a half points per game, second leading scorer for LSU, and starting all 33 games, played 33 minutes for LSU, this guy's got a lot of collegiate experience, um, but obviously he's faced a lot of adversity, gone through a lot of mental health um, challenges over these these past few months. So how does he get back to the Adam Miller that he that he was of old? Yeah, there's there's going to be some adjustment to the personnel, the team, the scheme, uh, the rust that you're knocking off because they're not playing, and all the challenges of that, you can see pretty clearly why he wanted to play for Hurley. And, of course, he has a a connection through one of the assistant coaches and his former AAU team, but – the he 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 likes to shoot the ball. He's gonna he's gonna get the ball up at the rim. And Hurley is somebody who gives players a lot of freedom to shoot it. The the, the thing though with Miller is he's not a great shooter. And uh, you know, he he he's a good athlete and he's got some length for for a guard, and you can see the makings of what can become a very good player. Um, but right now he's somebody who he's taking some ill-advised shots. You know, he, I, I think that he's uh, wanting to help the team and he's wanting to show his capability and there's 
there's a lot of desire to to inject yourself in that kind of way. Um, the reality, though, is that uh, he's got to settle down a little bit, I think, and 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 work within the 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 structure of what makes a lot of sense for them offensively. Most certainly. Um, looking ahead now, um, but before we get there, Krillick, just uh, some quick injury reports. Um, we know Zane Meeks has been out um, since the Vanderbilt game, and also Bryson Long missed these past couple of games uh, due to a non-COVID illness. Um, any expectation for them to return anytime soon, and what, what would they add to this group? Yeah, not entirely sure about uh, when they'll be back. I, I Bryson Long's thing seems very acute and should be able to allow him to play. Of course, he's the team's best shooter, and he gotten more minutes and was getting an opportunity to show what he can do on that on that side, especially uh, in recent weeks. And I think that's important uh, from a, a floor spacing standpoint, especially against the the team that don't have quite as much athleticism at guard. Um, Meeks, I, it's it's hard to really predict what's going to happen there. There's not been a lot of clarity from ASU about uh, you know any sort of estimation of his timetable for a return. It was different than I think with Phillips when Hurley said late late December and then boom he's back playing you know some some minutes against uh, Stanford and Cal. So um, you know they need to get everybody kind of coming back into form like Miller's now he wasn't hurt, but he's now kind of getting into rhythm. You got Phillips who's going to be able to expand his minutes. As long as there's no setback with his foot, you're going to get uh, Bryson long. So you're, you're, you're trending very healthy. If they could also get Meeks, I think that would be a big deal because he's again, a stretch four man and you need as much three point shooting and floor spacing injected into this team as you, as you possibly can. So, um, you know, if, if, if they can get all these guys back and healthy coupled with what we were saying earlier about Collins uh, confidence and development, I think that could bode well for them because they, um, they're just otherwise going to need to be so good defensively against some of these better teams in the conference. And mentioning some of those better teams in the conference, ASU, has a duel this weekend with the Mountain Schools, Utah, and Colorado. They're off to scorching starts to the season. Um, two teams probably just behind Arizona for some of the best in the Pac-12, Utah and Colorado, both 11-2. and two. We'll start looking at Utah, who will be the matchup tomorrow night on Thursday for ASU at Desert Financial Arena. Um, Utah, only two losses to number one team in the Ken Palm in Houston and then the other one to St. John's has kind of been on the rise again with the addition of Rick Pitino as their coach number 43 in the Ken, Ken Palm they're on it the Utes are on an eight game win streak they were undefeated in December they just completed a home sweep of the Washington schools and um, have the best overall record in terms of just overall record in the Pac-12 and a good start in conference play at 2-0 and um, what's your initial impressions of the Utes? Very sound basketball team. Uh, they have an anchor center in Brandon Carlson. has has been around a long time. Um, he's averaging like eighteen and six, something like that. But he also has the ability to to step out and shoot the ball. And then they have a uh, a point guard, Raleigh Worcester, 
who uh, is, is uh, being a very good floor general. They, they don't turn the ball over uh, almost at all. Nobody on the team has two turnovers per game. That's a really great sign. Um, you know, and, and, and Worcester has like a, a three to one assist to turnover ratio. And then they have guys who shoot it. Gabe Madsen's their second leading uh, scorer. You know, he's somebody that really shoots the ball at a very high level, like 47% from three. And so they, they, they don't turn it over. They don't put opponents on the free throw line very much. They play a, a stout style of defense. They don't get shots blocked. Uh, it's a, it's a, a mid tempo style. They take chances, um, when it, they have advantageous situations, numbers wise, but they don't force things. They work to get shots. So they're not a, you know, in the half court, they're willing to take their time and you have a seven foot presence there. Who's a really good player, maybe the best center in the conference, or maybe the second best, um, behind Arizona. So, I just uh, this is going to be a very difficult week for ASU. Um, it, the the after Arizona, I would say that Utah and Colorado right now look like they are the next best two teams in the Pac-12. Um, and ASU Ken Palm it predicts ASU to only have a twenty-five percent chance to win each game at home. Uh, which is pretty rare uh, for ASU in, in the Pac-12. But the opportunity is is ripe, of course, because when you start 2-0 at home, if you can continue that momentum and you can win these games, or at least one of the games, okay, now you're really very seriously in the conversation propelling you into you know the middle of January with just a couple, you know, six weeks left until you're getting into, uh, you know, the postseason tournament discussion and they need it because they they know and you mentioned we talked about it frank and collins you know uh the hard look in the mirror after that northwestern game they they're going to need to win a lot more games than they had expected to have to to give themselves a chance at playing in the postseason last season asu started off conference play with a loss to arizona ended up having a four game win streak after that followed by a four game losing streak hence the bobby hurley roller coaster ride so we'll see how it goes for the sun devils this weekend but that's going to wrap it up for our sun devil source report podcast thank you all for tuning in um, please stay locked in at sundevilsource.com subscribe and to stay up to date on all asu athletics news that's chris cartman i'm blake neiman thanks so much for tuning in hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day 